The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Road to World Football Show. I am Patrick Doherty, joined by Danny Carter, Patrick Green, Kyle Dvorak, all your favorites as we get ready to preview the entire Week 2 slate. We're going to go in-depth on some of the week's biggest games, including the Vikings at the Eagles and the Cardinals trying to play something resembling NFL football against the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll touch on all the week's hottest-button players. But first, guys, uh, we had a little snafu before the show. Um in my absolute desperation to get Patrick Crane to read an email, I put his name in the subject of the email and then made a <laughs> passive-aggressive dunk attempt on him in a group text before it was revealed I had not actually sent him the email. And I just wonder if how the team unity is feeling. Maybe if you guys have ever had any email snafus of your own, and if I've been fired, canceled, etc. Crane, how do you feel about this? I, I'm, cr- I'm cringing so hard I can hardly speak. <laughs> I mean, there was this real passive aggressive vibe in the, the text chat we had. Which I try to avoid, but I was like, read the email. <laughs> it was borderline was like, aggressive aggressive. Because <laughs> I go, I realized, you know, I'm sitting here waiting. I'm just working away, waiting for a, a show sheet to come through. Nothing's come through. So I'm like, going to the text, and I see a blink twice if you've gotten a, gotten the email here, Pat. Come on. <laughs> I go, what? What email? <laughs> he goes, it has been several emails. I put your name in the subject of one. All right, canceled. That's officially canceled. I was, it was up in the air up until then. I have you know sent several emails. You know what's more effective than putting my name in the subject? Putting my email in the send to yeah, line. That would yeah, Pat, like, Pat went full boss mode. You never do Darty that. has just been screaming in his room, like, like, Karain, read this document. Without ever sending him the document, he's just physically in person screaming. His wife's concerned. The kids are crying. And it's just going terribly. And while while uh, Karain is just working away, churning yeah. the midnight oil, saying, right. oh, man, I just love my job and I'm so happy. Crane, Crane is in the content mines, just just <laughs> filthy, just full of soot, okay? And he, he hasn't slept in 48 hours, and Pat's like, answer your email, man. <laughs> this guy and, now. and honestly, as a person who's looking at the text chain, I'm going, Crane, answer your email, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's not our job to know who the emails went, so I also was like kind of laughing at Crane not reading the email that he never got. Now, in Crane's defense, I've never read an email in my entire life. I don't, I don't read emails, but when I send them, I expect them to be read. Um, now, yeah, that's, now that's am I going to read yours? I mean, absolutely not. 
<laughs> that's what you gotta text me. But uh, man, email is. Okay, are we moving on from email soon? You think? Does anyone like emails? Does anyone ever look forward to checking their email anymore? I used to when I was younger, and that was the primary way of communicating online. But not not anymore. There's a thing like if you sometimes if you haven't checked your email in a while, or if like you've checked it on a different computer, and like you you come back to a computer that was asleep, and you you go over, you click on the tab that has your email, you see for a second like this is old and it hasn't updated. And when yeah. I see that, I run away from that tab. I do not let it update. It will only take another second. I don't want to know. I'm like, I regret this decision. I don't want to see. That's funny. Like that. I do that too. Wow. You, you never ever want to see email. You never want to see a bunch of these games this week. Let's just be honest. A bunch of these games, 10 point dogs already. Uh, but we're going to talk about all of them. But we're going to start with a good game here in the city of brotherly love. Uh, we're yeah we're beginning where the week ends actually with the Eagles playing host to the Vikings as two point home favorites on Monday Night Football. Denny, both these teams gave us pretty much everything we wanted in Week One. Yeah. Lots of fantasy points, lots of really big time performances, lots of like confirmation bias, unlike summer stuff we were into. But we'll begin with the Eagles and perhaps the one area of uncertainty. I don't know why I gave you such a boring topic to begin the show. <laughs> Did we see enough from Miles Sanders? They begin treating him as an RB2 because that was something in the rankings this week. I have him ranked as like a solid RB2. I think a lot of people still yeah. don't. And I kind of just don't know where to begin with this Eagles backfield. It's the one thing I kind of had questions about still coming out of that game against the Lions. Well, yeah, and I appreciate you giving me the most boring running back in the NFL to talk about. <laughs> uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, Miles Sanders led all uh, Philadelphia running backs and expected points last week. He led in routes, carries, snaps. Uh, he saw three touches inside the 10 yard line, which is very important. Obviously, uh, that actually turned into touch and into a touchdown. I mean, in- incredible. Like, like we, we actually got it. Never been uh, done. Bo- Boston Scott was also, uh, also scored a touchdown for those, uh, who were not aware. And, and Kenny Gainwell wasn't, was uh, involved in, in, um, not just in strict passing down situations, but sometimes, uh, on, on first and second down. So, I, I think it, it's it's looking up probably for Miles Sanders, but I I do I do think that it's hard to get excited about any sort of ceiling in this offense, especially with Jalen Hurts taking so much of the rushing opportunity and this offense, you know, probably running through AJ Brown. Did you guys know Boston Scott got a tutty, by the way? Corrine and Kyle, did you guys know that? I actually kind of forgotten that. I and watched Gainwell, game, right? Yeah. Gainwell scored too. <sighs> Jalen Hurts scored on the ground yeah. as well. And all of them were red zones slash closer to the goal line, like maybe from five yards out at the farthest right. or six yards out. So it wasn't even like, you know, red zone, but he, he got a long run from the from the 17 or whatever. Every single back got work around the five yard line. Well, since no one wants to talk about more about Miles Sanders, Kyle, I will throw to you to the the pass catchers where I said there were no questions, but that's not really true. Like we got, the, again, the confirmation bias. We really wanted A.J. Brown, that he was the best player in Eagles camp. He was taking over this offense. He had the second most yards in the NFL in week one. Dallas Goddard had a decent game. Devontae Smith did not have a good game. I mean, what What is there to kind of latch onto behind the seeming settled matter of A.J. Brown as the Eagles' runaway number one target? 
Yeah, the confirmation bias was great. I was victory lapping AJ Brown and then, you know, close friends and family would say, well, didn't you also kind of like Devonta Smith? And I say, well, yeah, but I drafted a lot of AJ Brown. So let's not, you know, <laughs> dig too much into the details. Uh, the thing was, obviously, it looks like they ran the ball a ton. You know, Jalen Hurts got 17 attempts, but nine of those per pro football focus were scrambles, which are obviously designed passing plays. So they actually had a slightly, slightly positive pass rate over expectation, which is sort of my foundation for having some sort of hope that Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard can eventually become, you know, more consistent. I mean, literally, Devonta Smith got goose egg, zero catches on four targets. We didn't see a ton of receiving volume. You know, I believe it was four targets, three catches, and something like 60 yards for Goddard as well. He was just efficient on the same amount of volume. And A.J. Brown's the stud. So I think A.J. Brown, you're playing him every week as probably a wide receiver one because they did lean towards being pass heavier. It just kind of worked out in a weird way that the Lions actually got pressure, right? Which I think wasn't quite expected. As long as he's not getting pressured, you know, at a 40% clip, I think we should expect more passing volume, but that's, that's great for AJ Brown. It still doesn't leave us with a ton of volume for Devonta Smith for Dallas Goddard. I think Devonta Smith is flex worthy. He got four targets on a passing attack that I want to be buying into Dallas Goddard plays a position that's weak, but I don't feel great about them. I, I totally accept that I, I could get goose egged again any week and AJ Brown just, Alpha stud. He was been elite every year. He was in Tennessee. Now he's commanding volume like we've never seen before. So you're you're playing him every week, and there's just no question he's like a top ten guy. Is Devontae Smith good? I think he's good, right? He was elite in his final season at college. Crane's he, making a face. So I, I want to I mean, hear someone like, kind of dump on him. Uh, <laughs> he's good, I mean, right? The problem is he plays next to someone who's great, and that's not perfect when you play in an offense. He didn't last offense. year, <laughs> and he was all right last year. He was fine. <laughs> yeah, he was fine. I think he was kind of in a range where it's like it could go either way year two, but but generally the type of guy I do think you want to make breakout bets on because the upside's pretty high as a first round pick. But I mean, yeah, I mean, probably the biggest thing we get fooled by year after year after year is final season college production for non early declare wide receivers. And his was so good. He won the Heisman. So it's like, you know, you I think you want to you do want to factor it in. But like he should have been a rookie in the NFL that year. You know, mm-hmm. and he gets a lot of he got a lot of bump in terms of draft position and NFL draft hype because of that final college season. I think you think about him more as like, what if he came in to the NFL and as a second round pick and, and had a pretty good rookie season? You know, I don't know if we'd be quite as hyped about him as we were. But, yeah, I think he's probably I, I do agree with Kyle. I think he's he's probably pretty good. It's just he's I don't think he's got any chance against AJ Brown. AJ Brown's a superstar. AJ Brown might be like the best wide receiver in the league. Like he's so good. So, you know, being pretty good is not necessarily going to stand up to that. Yeah. I wanted to believe that Devonte Smith was a model breaker, but I probably should have just paid more attention to Corain last off season. Cause you weren't like a truther on Devonte. where I don't think you were saying he's like an auto bust, but you were hitting a lot of the salient points. Yeah. Yeah. You hit all the salient yeah, points like, just made. At the and time, remember, right. When, when it came in, it, people were saying, I don't know. I, to me, it's Smith over Chase, you know, because of this, this season. That, and that, that type of stuff where, like, you can get in a big, big, big trouble wow. if you don't factor in the context of, you know, which years these guys are doing it. Also, they, they move A.J. Brown around the formation and, like, like scheme him open. And they leave Devontae Smith on the outside and be like, good luck. Good luck out there. Like, <laughs> you're, you're going to have to work for these targets. And I, I just I – just, he's going to have to, like – really really do well to earn consistent targets in this offense with uh an alpha like aj brown there and i don't think you can in you know, 12 team leagues I, I i think you're trying to find someone else to start i think that's the sadly correct uh crane 
what do we do with the so the Vikings things went to plan? Justin Jefferson dominated. Kirk Cousins looked good. Dalvin Cook got the work and the usage, just not quite the touchdowns. Uh, but what do we do with the Vikings pass catchers who aren't named Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith? Horrible game. I believe a donut. Uh, they said it was like game plan related, but I feel like you get left out of the game plan if you're not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what happened with Adam Thielen? Just what are we thinking behind Justin Jefferson and this, this Viking skill core? Yeah, so I think if you think about what we were hoping for the Vikings, I, they generally delivered. Um, they had a 4% pass rate over expected, which was in line with where the Packers were last season. But I don't think we're going to get this Vikings team that's like ultra aggressive in terms of their passing ball. I mean, it'll be a nice a boost from where they were with Mike Zimmer, where they were very much a run-heavy team. But I still don't think we're going to have like a ton of passing volume. And therefore, you know, the guy who's going to benefit by far the most is Justin Jefferson. Dwayne McFarlane was talking about how, you know, he was schemed against linebackers and safeties at a much, much higher rate than he was last year, which was the goal, which was the hope with Justin Jefferson as, you know, some people were taking him ahead of cup in best ball drafts with the idea that, you know, he's kind of a younger, better player that's now going to get this same schemed up touches and and targets that the cup was benefiting so much from. So far through one week, that is the case. And I think Jefferson just profiles as an absolute smash this year. When you look at Adam Thielen, I mean, we talked about last year how he's basically a tight end. And that's kind of what he is now. I mean, he ran a route on 100% of dropbacks, so that's nice. But, you know, he went three for 36. I think he'll have a red zone role. He's an underneath guy, 7.7 ADOT. It's very, very similar to last year, I think. I'd, I wouldn't expect a big boost for him. The overall offense, again, not going to be super pass heavy. So he's kind of what he has been, a touchdown dependent, you know, kind of underneath option. The actual tight end, Irv Smith, I think is a straight-up drop. He ran around on 42% of dropbacks. Uh, Johnny Munt had 48%. Uh, they had, you know, I, I just don't see how, like the whole case for Irv Smith was that he is going to be in an every-down role. We've never really seen him be super efficient as a pass catcher. He's not in an every-down role. He's not even in a full-time role. He's... He's below rosterable, I think. Unless, unless this was, unless you really believe in Irv Smith and you want to, you know, treat this as a one-week fluke, and you're hoping he'll be back at 65, 70% next week. That's that's certainly possible. But for me, I would be turning him out for a tight end like Juwan Johnson or something who who ran 80% of the routes. Um, but yeah, I, I've never really been a big believer in Irv, so maybe there's a bias there. Love when my coaches game plan for Johnny Munt instead of me. That was game two of the Monday Night Football doubleheader. And game one this week, the Bills host the Titans. I say a stunning 10-point home favorites, Crane. Crane, we're sticking with you, even though I'm testing your limits of endurance for talking. 10-point <laughs> um, favorite. It seems very hefty. Uh, for, the Titans beat the Bills last year, which, of course, is the only thing that matters. But, Crane, just kind of what is the lay of the land with, with this pretty big Monday night game that is apparently not being regarded as a good matchup by the, our friends in Las Vegas, Nevada? Yeah, looking at the PFF grades for this, like the Rams, they rank they rank 14th in pass rush grade and 19th in coverage grade after that game with the Bills, which to me is like kind of illuminating that okay, Josh Allen finished second in EPA per play. They they should have beaten the Rams by more. Um and you know, the Rams like the Rams I don't think are going to go down as a bad pass defense. Meanwhile, the Titans just lost the Giants at home. So this does set up I think as the Bills potentially rolling the Titans. The Titans, they're going to try to play keep away. 
They had a minus 27% pass rate over expected on first and 10 last week, which is like off the charts, crazy low. Uh, they're, that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to run. They're, you know, it's on first and 10, you have a choice, right? You can kind of set your quarterback up for success when the defense has to play both the run and the pass. The Titans go the other way. They're like, this is our chance to have Derrick Henry run when they think we might pass. So they're going to do that. They're going to try to play time of possession game. I don't think that's going to work. I think the Bills are going to push them out of that script. The issue is that, you know, the Bills could win by enough that anyone besides Stefan Diggs or Gabe Davis is going to be tough to trust. And then on the Tennessee side, none of their wide receivers are running full-time uh, route levels. So I don't think you can really trust any of those guys. Burks looked really good. I think he had a bullish week one, but he's still a rotational player. You can't trust him this week. Kyle Phillips only ran 60% of the routes, even though he looked good. So I, I don't I don't really know who you play on the Titans, but they they should have trouble executing the game plan they probably want to. Can't wait for the Titans to win twenty three to nineteen and just make us question everything about the entire universe. Danny, really quickly, by the way, did we see enough from Gabe Davis in week one? I think it was what was it only like five targets, but he had you know eighty eight yards, had the touchdown. Are we, we we can remain on the Gabe train, right? Yeah, I mean, it's everything that we looked for when we drafted him, you know, supposedly early. I, I don't think it was early, but, uh, you know, I th- close to 100%, if not 100% route participation. Like that, that's what's been missing is that he, he's been like 50% route participation. We, we got we got everything. We got everything we wanted. He, I know the touchdowns are not going to be every week. Okay. Like I, I get that. But I, I do feel like, uh, the underlying numbers for Gabe Davis in week one are going to make for a long season for those who said, no way, I'm not drafting that guy. And he still, he seemed like the guy with the downfield chemistry with Josh Allen. Not that, I mean, Steph Diggs made some plays down the field. One where he just kind of ran right by Jalen Ramsey, who's right. still waiting for help in quarters coverage. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think Gabe Davis remains the downfield threat in that offense. Here. I do. With their season already over, Kyle, the Dallas Cowboys host the 0-1 Cincinnati Bengals, a seven-and-a-half-point home underdogs. I mean, first off, too soon to declare the Cowboys season over. And uh, what's going on here? What do the folks need to know about a game that should have been good, but is instead very, very, very bad? Yeah, Dak Prescott obviously not playing in this game, probably not playing for at least over a month, and Cooper Rush will be filling in. I regret to inform you. Uh, last year, Cooper Rush got a start. He threw for 325 and two touchdowns, I believe it was against the Vikings. He was also last, dead last in week one in EPA per drop back, and that fits with the mold of Cooper Rush as much as I want to say, well, maybe they throw it a lot. They try and set him up for success in a game where, you know, you really, if you're a team starting O2 uh, and you're not going to have your starting, your real starting quarterback back for a few weeks, at least you'd like to, you'd like to not be in that hole, but really I, I don't have any confidence. The offense is any good. I think maybe CD lamb can be a, a valuable ish wide receiver too. Cause we did see him lead the team in targets, but the targets are so less valuable with Cooper Rush. I do think he'll be the worst starting quarterback taking the field this weekend. Dalton Schultz. Yeah. Dalton Schultz, kind of the same argument, maybe low end T one values. We saw him second on the team tied with Noah Brown and targets, but you're just banking on the hope that they run a lot of plays sort of like the Bengals did last week, except they won't be efficient. Like the Bengals were outside of the four and Joe Burrow interceptions. One of which was a pick six, but they still generated. It was through another tutty pick six, by the way. Yeah. Not the best showing from him, but it made it a very fun game. It made it uh, get into overtime and it made Jamar chase be the monster. We all expected 16 targets, 
six targets in the red zone. That doubled the next closest guy in the entire NFL. Obviously, T. Higgins missed most of that game with concussion that it looks like he'll come back from. But it wouldn't surprise me if Jamar Chase just is so much better. Sort of the A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith thing, where I think Higgins is even better than Devonta Smith. But Jamar Chase is another one of these players where in a year, two years, three years, we could say, oh, yeah, it turns out he was one of the best receivers of the 2020s, probably the best, right? So Jamar Chase, monstrous wide receiver one, top four or five fantasy option. And then Joe Mixon, interestingly, he got 38 rounds. I know they did drop back a ton, but he he did nearly double up some AJP rounds, 21 routes. He got 27 carries, caught seven passes. They threw a lot, but... I think we're we're in for a similar season, maybe even slightly better from receiving value for Joe Mixon as we saw last year. I'm still not sure he's really going to push for top three, top four status because he's not an elite runner and P. Ryan is still in the mix. But I think the people who drafted him are definitely getting what they paid for. Danny, was it you, by the way, where I was trying to float the take that I didn't think anything would really change for Dalton Schultz? That, like, yes, of course, Cooper yeah. rushes this and I like, keep targeting the tight end who's just kind of always open six yards down the field. Is that, sure. is that scan is maybe correct take? Yeah, no, I'm 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 on, I'm on that train. I mean, uh, I don't have Dalton Schultz anywhere, but hey, you know, if you, if you <laughs> some of us do, if you do, then you could be in for a bunch of meaningless second half targets. The PPR scam. You say, why else do you play fantasy football if you're not gunning for meaningless second half targets? Hey, listen, I, I rostered Greg Dortch in a lot of places. Yeah, so, oh, don't worry, we're getting to Greg Dortch in just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> we got yeah, ten minutes I, locked off. For I thought I thought I was ready for week one, and then hearing Denny tell Greg Dortch on the recap pod, I was like. Oh, oh, he did it on the recap pod too. He did it on the waiver yeah. wire pod. Oh my lord, oh, yeah. Denny! Denny, you're fired. I don't <laughs> you don't know what to say. You're fired. I tell you, I don't. I'm rarely at a loss for words. I was at a loss for words when we bricked our Kadarius Tony thing on Galaxy Brains. By the yeah, way, um, would you say we... he'd play more than seven snaps? Was that your big Galaxy Brain <laughs> take? We don't want to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> Two of week one's most surprising offenses, Washington and Detroit, square off in the Motor City with the Lions as one-and-a-half-point favorites. Both teams rained fantasy points in the opener, but it was the Commanders where the surprises really abounded, Denny. Let's just start by asking what felt real with Washington, what's maybe not real, is this sustainable for Antonio Gibson, is this sustainable for Curtis Samuel, so on and so forth. I mean, as long as Brian Robinson is sidelined, and, and by the way, you know, he did uh, do some side work at practice uh, this week. So, um, and Adam Schefter said Robinson could be back uh, in week five. So just keep tabs on that. Obviously, he should be rostered, I think, in, in most 12 team leagues. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Gibson's usage was really good like 51% route participation over McKissick, who had 38%. Uh, you have uh, three. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not three, eight high value touches in uh, for, for Gibson, meaning uh, either receptions or touches inside the 10 yard line. Uh, that was the third most uh, of week of week one. So, I mean, you couldn't ask for more and, and, and he delivered, um, you know, with, with 20, I think 20 PPR points around there. So I, I, I'm very encouraged. I think if you, if you got him at a discount, you can just ride this out until Robinson returns and then think about it. It, don't think about it in the meantime. Just plug him in and play him. So, that's a really good breakdown of the commander's backfield. This, Crane, I'll ask you quickly on the commander's pass catchers. Like, when, I mean, it's, it was a weird game because like Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson both made like fantasy managers happy. They scored touchdowns. But the usage, I mean, what, four or five targets for both of them, like fifth or sixth on the team in targets. Did we find any confirmation bias there and that Carson Wentz still doesn't like to target wide receivers 
or is that just kind of nitpicking in a game where Carson Wentz ultimately played well, produced a lot of points, produced some big plays, and like brighter usage days are ahead basically for Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson? You're, you're muted, Patrick. I think brighter usage days are ahead, particularly for McLaurin. I mean, he had an 18.3 ADOT. So, you know, if this was week seven and McLaurin had a dud, but he was had an 18.3 ADOT, we'd all go, yeah, that's what happens sometimes when you get targeted super deep downfield. But we know Carson Wentz has actually a pretty good deep ball. It's like kind of the one thing he does well. And McLaurin. Until last year where I felt like it was like a dead dove. It seemed well. Weird. Week one. It was still the best thing he did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a big Wentz guy, but I do think that's got all he's got. But yeah, I mean, McLaurin, that's McLaurin's game. And I think to have Curtis Samuel, you know, showing a little bit of juice underneath, they have to, they have to cover Dotson. He'll punish you if, if you don't. So I think this sets up is, you know, eventually, McLaurin's gonna have some big games as a downfield guy once once that connection comes through. So I wouldn't be worried about um mclaurin's kind of you know he got in the end zone but it wasn't wasn't the biggest game for him uh so yeah i think better days ahead for him and also washington passed more than i think really anyone thought and so if there's more volume here they're kind of you know they they believe in wentz right they traded for him they're building this offense around him in a surprising way i mean they're not trying to hide him the way some other teams are trying to hide their quarterback you know uh the way brian dayball is for example in new york so, yeah, I think we, we could see uh, more passing volume than we expected, and some of those deep shots are going to connect. Terry McLaren will have some big days. Kyle, on the other side, the Lions, week one, like on the surface, felt like a next step game for DeAndre Swift. You know, it piles up prodigious yardage totals, uh, had some really big plays. But it, do the underlying metrics confirm that, or is it just kind of a big game and a crazy scoring environment? And, by the way, DeAndre Swift – has an ankle issue, but he, he told the Detroit Free Press that he expects to play in week two. Yeah, he took that next step and whop, his ankle rolled right over and he's not going to play this week. No, he said, <laughs> like he said, he said he's he's going to play. Uh, the players are generally optimistic, but uh, I think he was out till, or he was like out on the field all the way through the end of the game. So it wasn't like he got pulled at halftime and never returned like Najee Harris or something. So I, I think, so the underlying metrics will probably not tell you that it's like this massive next step for him. But I, with my eyes, watch this game. Something Genius, that man. You will rarely hear me say, actually, I do watch a, a lot of games, but it's not something I use. And it's, not, it's not something I rely on very much. But one thing you'll notice is that DeAndre Swift on the very first drive, 50-yard carry, gets rested. 50 yards is a long way to run. He does it very quickly. 11-yard carry, gets rested. And then Jamal Williams scores. The Jamal Williams second score later in the game, 25-yard carry, down at the one-yard line. Hmm. 25 yards, a very long distance to run. Jamal Williams touchdown. And we saw the DeAndre Swift touchdown was from the seven yard line. So it's not like they're shutting him out of the red zone. Very coincidentally, I mean, maybe not so coincidentally because he's good at breaking long runs. He gets tired because he runs a long time and then Jamal Williams comes in and scores. So I think it's totally reasonable to say there's still a backfield by committee. That is not going away. But the Jamal Williams is the team's touchdown vulture feels to be a bit overstated. And we saw DeAndre Swift, I believe he more than doubled him up in overall routes run. He was clearly the receiving back that they preferred. So he's still a committee back, right? But could he push towards being Alvin Kamara light? Yeah, I think we're kind of headed in that direction, especially with the efficiency as a runner, which he's been so-so as a runner throughout his career. But this hey. offensive line was great. They mauled the Philly front seven, open up holes for him to just go nuts. He's been bad as a runner. I didn't so, want to dunk on him too much, but it's been not his skill set. Until yeah. now, maybe. Until now, yeah. I think this is actually 
really exciting for Swift. I mean, he he was actually second uh, on the week in uh, NFL Next Gen, Gen's rushing metric uh, to Saquon Barkley, just ahead of Miles Sanders and Nick Chubb. So, you know, that's I think it's encouraging. It's a one, it's one game. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean a lot, but I think right. He's a third year player. He clearly struggled to run between the tackles last season. We're trying to have him not get up to 80% of the snaps, but just like firmly right around like 70% every week, get chances at the goal line. I think this all certainly must make the Lions coaching staff feel better about who DeAndre Swift is and what he can do. And I, yeah, I think great notes on the fact that uh, those touchdowns were coming after long runs from Swift. I also don't buy that Williams is like a goal line hammer. Curious that you guys are suppressing positive information on Miles Sanders, by the way. You just let it slip that next-gen stats <laughs> grades him as the fourth-best running back. Of it's a small the- sample. You can't trust <laughs> this. <laughs> Don't hear anyone mention that in their Miles Sanders spiel. Uh, anyone have any thoughts on the Lions pass catchers? Amonra St. Brown kind of kept the train rolling, eight catches on 12 targets. That was like his exact usage from late last season. Do we have any thoughts on this or is this, or do we know? Uh, DJ Chark was kind of interesting last week. Uh, I mean, oh he, Cut he, well, look, I mean, you're not, you know, you're starting. So. No, I mean, yeah, kidding aside, but I'm pretty interested to hear this because yeah. he's someone that like we haven't focused like any attention on and just could have a big role. Yeah. Uh, 21.6% target share, just only behind St. Brown. Uh, three of his eight targets were more than 20 yards downfield. That was the third highest mark of the week. You know, he is he is who we thought he he was, which is which is a a volatile downfield producer. Um, I'm not sure how great that is with Jared Goff under center, but um, you could do worse if you're if you're looking for uh, someone to plug in at at wide receiver and in a deeper, I think, in a deeper league. And DFS wise, I'm I'm interested. And Denny, that's a role that like uh, Dan Campbell was just really adamant and like establishing last year, like. He wanted like the the deep threat role player guy, and he did it with Josh Reynolds. He did it with someone else too. Raymond, I assume. Yeah, where he was just intent on establishing that role, and it certainly looks like DJ Sark, as expected, has the role. Crane, did you want to jump in there real quick before we move on to our next game? I wanted to mention Hawkinson. I think he's potentially in real trouble here if Amon Ross St. Brown. If this is real from Amon Ross St. Brown, and you know, last year we he was doing this without Hawkinson on the field, but a thirty two percent target share. For Amon Ross St. Brown, who yeah. started on 33% of his routes, he had an ADOT in this game of 5.0. That's super shallow. I mean, that tells you a lot about Jared Goff. But Hawkinson has the same role in the offense. He had an ADOT of 5.9. Both of these guys are going to be the shallow underneath guys. If St. Brown's getting open quicker, which I think is a fairly – we should expect that to continue happening. Yeah. I mean, he's a wide receiver, and he's pretty good. And Hawkinson's a tight end. So Didn't I just think go to this, Iowa. This, this – Sets up Hawkinson for a really inconsistent season if St. Brown is for real. As Evan Silva might say, Amon Ross St. Brown, good at the game. He probably wouldn't say that about Amon Ross St. Brown, but he just likes to say people are good at the game. Uh, Denny, the 0-0-1 Indianapolis Colts head on the road to take on the 0-1 Jacksonville Jaguars. They could be doing so without Michael Pittman, who was downgraded to out for Thursday's practice after being limited on Wednesday. We don't quite know what's going on there. What do the folks need to know about the Colts visiting the Jaguars? Yeah, well, you know, the, the Jags were weirdly a pass funnel defense for most of last year. They were, again, they seemed like a pass funnel defense in week one, uh, you know, against Carson Wentz and the the commanders. So, you know, we could see another game where uh, Matt Ryan takes to the air quite often, as he did last week, although last week was pre- uh, predicated on the uh, negative, negative game script that they 
un- unbelievably faced against Houston. Um, uh, but I, so I, I do, I, I am bullish on, on Matt Ryan and the pass catchers. Now, if Pittman's out, then that does change the calculus. Of course, Alec Pierce is also in the concussion protocol. So it could suddenly look pretty, pretty ugly for Matt Ryan. If you're looking at him for, for streaming purposes. Um, I, you know, I suppose if those two guys are out, you got what Paris Campbell as the, functioning as probably the top target for, for Matt Ryan. So he becomes interesting. Uh, Ashton Doolin, who is, had a target on six of his 14 routes in week one, um, maybe gets a, gets a full-time role, a full complement of snaps and routes. Uh, so it, it's something definitely we need to watch, but the Jags can be had and, and, and have been had by, uh, by lesser quarterbacks for sure. If Michael Pittman's out, it changes the calculus for maybe a few bank accounts. Um, would it. not be a good sign. Any Naheem Hines love, by the way, against they're playing a defense that allowed like a million receptions. I'm saying if Michael Pittman's out, that they allowed like a billion receptions, you know, to the commander's backfield last weekend. Any, any takers on this one? Uh, it feels like, okay, so the, the Colts backfield kind of reminds me of like the Rams receiving room. Like, no one matters for the Rams except for Cooper Cup, and no one matters for the Colts no. except for Jonathan Taylor. So I, I have a hard time with uh, with Hines. Yeah, and Ben Groch wrote about this. It's like if, if it wasn't going to happen for Hines last week, when is it ever going to happen for Hines? That was the yeah, right. perfect setup. It, it, JT's just he's too good. The offense is going to roll through him. I think I thought they might be a little bit more balanced uh, this year with you know in terms of passing a little bit more, and they're just like no, we we win because of JT. Before we go, Christian Kirk did what the Jaguars were hoping he would do. Any interest in what happened behind him, say Evan Ingram or Zay Jones? I mean, they had eight or nine targets. Or is Christian Kirk going to really be the only Jag that we want to start? Is like, say, an every week fantasy starter. Man, coaches love Zay Jones. That's all. Boy, I man, I mean, it's an, he, coaches and team captains just love the guy. That guy, he's a he's a team leader, a team guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, he tied. I think he tied for the team lead, or maybe he, was one behind in, in, in he targets. He had, I think, I believe he had two end zone targets, one of which really should have been a touchdown. So uh, Zay Jones become, I think, could become, you know, some somewhat interesting. But Christian Kirk's usage, both from the slot and on the outside, was really great. Like I, I feel, you know, incredibly like my uh, priors were confirmed there, big time with Christian Kirk. But yeah, I mean, as Zay Jones should not be ignored in deeper formats. Yeah, I hope Cliff Kingsbury wasn't checking his texts after that game because Christian Kirk always oh, in between. Okay. Is he an outside guy? Is he a slot guy? Cliff Kingsbury kind of just deciding neither. And immediately has one of the best games of his career the second okay. he gets away from Cliff Kingsbury. And we're getting away from this first half of the show. We'll be right back after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. 
Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Join the new Roto World League in the NBC Sports Predictor app and play SNN7 every Sunday with all of us here at Roto World for a shot at a $100,000 jackpot. That's right. We created a league to let you see how you stack up against our fantasy football experts all season long. It's easy to join and play. Simply download the app, create or sign into your account, click leagues, and use access code ROTO22. That's ROTO22 to play. And just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, Major League Baseball, and on the NASCAR circuit and in the Premier League. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Vikings and Eagles in our Sunday Night 7 contest. Coming off a questionable Week 1 win, at least that's how I'm describing it, the Ravens host the Dolphins coming off a commanding Week one win. The Ravens are three and a half point favorites, though, Kyle, at home. And we'll start with them. Who they, they got the W, uh, but they continue to have massive questions in their receiver core. And just what is the state of the Rashad Bateman hype train right now? Is there anyone other than like Mark Andrews or uh, Rashad Bateman we can even consider worth rostering? Just kind of, I, I don't know. Should we be impressed by the Ravens last week? Should we be deeply alarmed by Rashad Bateman? I just don't know what to think about this team after one week. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, of like the Traylon Burks situation where like Burks was out there, he made some moves, but he's not a full-time player. And that's frankly what we saw with Bateman. Unfortunately, you had to pay more to get Bateman this summer, which is a bit frustrating. And he did get, uh, it was like a 50-yard touchdown reception on uh, a Jets defense that was the worst or for opponents, they were the best at allowing long receptions to opponents. So if there was a week where he was going to pile up all of his yards on one bad defense, it was obviously going to be week one. So I think just the overall fact that Devin Duvernay was out there getting more targets and running more routes than him is, is frustrating. And maybe Bateman, you know, this is really the first time he's been able to be up and ready for week one. Maybe that plays a role in him getting on the field more as we get deeper into the season. But right now he is more like that three, four sort of speculative play. I mean, Jackson's got a good arm. Bateman's out there often, not all the time, but it's, I, I don't feel as good as I did going into week one. Any Rashad Bateman counter arguments yeah. there? Well, I just want to push back on like him versus Burks. I mean, Burks was down in like the thirties in terms of his route participation and Bateman was at 74%, which isn't ideal. Like, you know, he's number one wide receiver. We would like him to be at like 90%, but you know, it's a different, it's sort of a different thing at that level. He can still kind of get in the end zone and save his day, which is what he did. Um, he had 2.36 yards per outrun. So he actually, I think it's like one of those things where this was kind of a weird game plan thing. Um, and you know, they were up pretty big on the jets by the middle of the third quarter, maybe as one know, does. He, he gets he gets a few more routes in this game, and all of a sudden he's exactly what we were thinking. I, I'm not buying the Duvernay stuff. He was only about 53 no. percent of routes. They uh, the Ravens schemed their first play to Bateman, uh, kind of having him run across the formation and get open. 
he was tackled right away. It wasn't you know, anything <laughs> close to a, a big play. But then, but then, you know, so I'm thinking, oh man, like they, they really want to get this guy involved. And that was it like for a long time. And then there was the downfield shot. Um, and you know, you can't, you, you can't take that away. You got to give it to him. Uh, but I, I do, I do think he's going to be frustrating for fantasy. Devin Duvernay, that was one of the like easily most easily yeah. scrolled by box scores. Yeah, seen. Yeah, whatever. Just, yeah, I know. I got a lot of it'll happen waiver. every now and then. Yeah. The, <laughs> just part of life. Yeah, with the waiver chat, people were like, "Why? Why not? Why am I not adding Duvernay? He scored twice, didn't you see?" I said, well, "He ran a route on half the dropbacks." Yep. So can't wait for the Titans to beat the Bills this week, and for Devin Duvernay to score two touchdowns. Yeah, well. it's going to be what can you do. Crane looks like J.K. Dobbins is going to make his 2020, 2022 debut after what seemed like a disconnect all summer between him and the coaching staff about his health. Maybe it was cleared up by the fact that Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis and Justice Hill were not the answer against the New York Jets. And so it looks like J.K. is going to play. What should our expectations be? Yeah, that's that's uh, kind of how I'm seeing it, is that he's, he's going to get some run because Kenyon Drake was pretty bad. Um, he was, he was the fifth worst in NFL next gen's, uh, rush yards over attempt, um, rush yards over expected per attempt. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's tough to say you can like really play Dobbins. I wouldn't play him basically in any format, but we should see him. <laughs> sure. I wouldn't run. play him in literally any league. I'm in. I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, you don't know. You just don't know like what, what his, uh, involvement is going to be, but the hope is he he gets out there. He gets out there for enough snaps that we can actually get a sense of how healthy he is, and he looks pretty good. And then we roll with him in week three. I think you're kind. Of, it's kind of a wait and see week with Dobbins, but you know, luckily no one else has stepped in and and shown anything. Um, and certainly Mike Davis isn't it. So, yeah, I think the the runway's clear here if he's healthy. I, do I think th- as someone who drafted a. A lot of bad running backs this summer because as one does, you know, if you listen to the show a lot, you know, that's oftentimes the strategy we employ is let's punish our opponents with receivers and take some suspect running backs. Jacob Dobbs can be in some starting lineups for me. And it's definitely a a gamble. And it's a gamble like I lost with Chris Godwin last week. Right. I was like, Godwin is playing on one of the best offenses. We're playing him. Right. He goes out. And I don't know if it was like a um, compensation type of injury or whatnot, but obviously it didn't pan out for me. I'm going to take that gamble again with J.K. Dobbins this week. And it's because exactly what Crane said, that the Drake was so poor. And we saw them actually have a positive pass rate over expectation. But I think it's specifically because they were starting Drake and playing Mike Davis behind him. You know, when they have their team, at, you know, I don't know if it's perfectly healthy, but when they have their team at optimal health, they want to be this run first and extremely efficient running attack. So I'll be gambling with Dobbins, but it's like it's, it's a very thin gamble. It's just a gamble that I'm, I'm willing to take because he's incredibly talented. I do think you can kind of jam him in there as a top 36 running back because it was a pretty not great week one for running backs. Still like a lot of really unsorted situations. I, I do think you can maybe count like 12 to 15 carry upside there for J.K. And that's probably on the outer limits of what his, his oh. carry count will be as he comes back. But Danny, on the other side of the ball, do we expect Tyreek Hill to dominate targets to the degree that he did over Jalen Waddle? I mean, 12 targets yeah. in your debut against the Bill Belichick defense. It's kind of like as clear as a commitment gets. Jalen Waddle did get the big play. He did get the touchdown, though. Just should we believe our eyes with the Dolphins' week one usage, basically? Yeah, I mean, I, I believe uh, my priors. I believe, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my uh, preconceived notions. And, and I believe what we saw uh, in the numbers, you know, from last week, 
Tyreek saw a bunch of manufactured touches, which is a little bit new. I mean, they did that in KC a little bit once they took away the deep ball last year. But uh, Tyreek Hill had 19 expected fantasy points. Waddle had nine expected fantasy points. Um, obviously, he had more. Waddle ended up with more because of that touchdown on fourth down. Um, Tyreek had a 42% target share. Waddle had a 17% target share. Uh, Tyreek Hill accounted for 40% of the team's air yards, one of the highest marks of the week. So I think I think it is pretty clear that the Dolphins are adamant about getting the ball to Tyreek Hill. Kyle, in the Dolphins' backfield, we saw, I think, mostly what we expected there. Pretty clear Chase Edmonds' commitment. Raheem Mostert involved. Any surprises in the data or what, what are we seeing? No, I mean, it was good to see Chase Edmonds, if you had Chase Edmonds, out, out targeting uh, Raheem Mostert 4-1, to out carries him 12-5. to Maybe the only cause for concern is that Miami only had three red zone carries. They were the highest pass rate over expectation teams. They were passing at all parts of the field at all times. They had three red zone carries, small sample, but two of them were Tua and one of them was Mostert. That is no no red zone carries for Edmonds, and that's kind of been his MO throughout his career, but it's a small sample. I wouldn't get too worked up over it. Maybe the more concerning thing is we saw some Mostert on the two-minute drill. It only converted to one target, but it's a committee that still favors Edmonds pretty strongly. I think you can rely on him as an RB2, especially because, like you said, like there are a lot of sort of unsettled situations. This feels about as settled as we expected seeing that final you know, preseason strong Chase Edmonds showing. So I think this was a pretty good run out for him other than maybe just the overall lack of rushing volume on the team side. Man, coaches will let Chase Evans date their daughter, but they will not let him touch the ball inside the 20 yard line. It's just, uh, it's really, really quite something. Trying to shake off last week's blowout loss to the Bills, Kareem. The Rams re- remain home to host the Falcons. They're whopping 10 point favorites. The Falcons, frankly, looked better than expected a week one against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, what's the lay of the land for Falcons at Rams? Yeah, so the Falcons, they passed a bit more than we thought they would on first and 10, but I think, you know, pretty safe bet for them to still be run heavy. And I think the Rams are going to be, I think they're going to kind of welcome the chance to be a very much balanced team, not a, not at all a pass heavy team. Maybe they'll have a lean to the pass, but they've been trending towards that uh, since the middle of last year, since their bye week last year. Uh, they were very balanced in the playoffs. They were last week, you know, in terms of what the expected game script, they're sort of fighting, you know, the past to an extent. And uh, this is a, a defense that struggled to stop the run last week. So I think we're probably going to have a, maybe a little, like, I kind of like the under here. Right? Like, I think this game might not be the type of fireworks that we'd be hoping for. Um, at the same time, I mean, cup, Cups a baller. He's gonna he's gonna get there. I wouldn't be worried about that. I also think Kyle Pitts could bounce back in a pretty big way. Uh, he didn't run quite as many routes as we prefer. He's at seventy six percent, but that's not bad. That's actually pretty good for a tight end. And he was targeted on twenty five percent of his routes, which is elite, basically no matter what position you play, but definitely elite for a tight end. So not a good week one for Pitts, but I wouldn't be worried about him and also Drake London looks startable. He ran around on 81% of dropbacks targeted on 23% of his routes. That's a very strong number elite 2.47 yards per outrun. So he already looks like a guy that you can plug in kind of wide receiver three flex type. Um, as far as the Rams ancillary guys, I mean, Daryl Henderson led the led all running backs last week in snap percentage and route percentage. Yeah. So, I mean, you can trust real? him. Yes. It is. <laughs> 
it's wild. So yeah, Henderson's like a workhorse workhorse, like a, until further notice, I think, you know, you can, you can kind of plug him in. Uh, and then, yeah, to me, I, if I'm starting another guy on the Rams, it's, it's Higby, not, not Allen Robinson. On, <laughs> Why was Higby target? That was like desperation garbage time, and he kept yeah. dropping them. But, but he, well, he, knew, he knew oh, it wasn't fair to count them. He knew That's it wasn't right. fair. He's like, ah, these are kind of garbage time. I don't want those to artificially inflate my stats, and he just kept batting them down left and right. One thing you can count on with Tyler, Tyler Higby is running literally every single route and seeing five targets. <laughs> That's or, right. Or if he, he happens to catch all five and they're for 37 yards. He caught, he had nine targets. He caught five of them because he, he you know, there's some slippage there. He will he will bat the ball down from time to time. <laughs> Real quick, we couldn't talk about this game without mentioning Allen Robinson. Could we? Panic. Not, don't panic. Like one game, blah, blah, blah. I mean, Matthew Stafford's under siege. Uh, what are the Allen Robinson tea leaves coming out of that? One of the wor- most disappointing performances by any player in the NFL. Imagine if Adam Thielen ran deep routes. <laughs> I don't think Thielen's fast enough to get on, like get to a route we'd call deep by, before mm-hmm. play ends. Mm-hmm. He might be done. He really, he just might be done. Um, well, in he, one game, he looked lost, he looked lost out there. He honestly, did. like he, you know, I saw a few cutups. Of him just like meandering around, just like walking around. It, was, <laughs> it, might, it might have been because like in the other side of the clip, like Matthew Stafford's like on his back. But I, I don't know. Sean McVay know. knows how to get people open. At least for one he knows game, how to get person could, open. Yeah, yeah, one singular person. He open couldn't get out Robinson play. open. Last yeah, game. I know Stafford said after the game, it's like, oh, well, the Bills were mostly just playing zone, and Robinson's like a man beater, and that's been something that's been true about, about him throughout his career. But like. I don't know. I watched Cooper Cup beat that zone 10 times in the game. So couldn't they have done that once, Allen Robinson? Not even? Oh, all right. Well, that's whatever. So, wow. I was expecting maybe someone to still be an Allen Robinson truther. But he ran around on 96% of dropbacks. So he is there out there. That's why I compared him to Thielen, though. It's because he, he's just out there. Not not much else is going on. But, yeah, I mean, he, he did get targeted. Half of his targets came in the end zone. He only had two. <laughs> Good point. He uh, only had two. That's so Thielen. That is the Thielen of all Thielens. Sure, one of them ended the game and was not even close to caught because there were three bills around him. It was a him. desperation but, heave into yeah. the end zone. But, you know, that's it's it's not – It counts. Oh, it counts. It counts all right. Kyle, after trusting the process and beating the Titans with a two-point conversion, the Giants head back to New Jersey for their home opener as two-point favorites versus the Panthers. What do the fantasy players of America – Need to know about the Carolina Panthers visiting the Meadowlands. Uh, Saquon Barkley is back. It's so exciting. This was like truly one of the best uh, outcomes of week one, whether you had him or not, because he's like one of the most entertaining players to watch. An 18-161 rushing line, uh, you know, was really the only back they cared to use and massively targeted. It did help that like there was so much bubble wrap around Daniel Jones. It was just trying to not let him make horrible mistakes to win the game. Uh, That works out perfectly for Saquon Barkley, though. Also leads the team with seven targets like, like, where do you guys have him? I, I think he's got a very strong argument to be like the RB3. Like, I, I think he could easily be, if not like the RB4, like Eckler could be the only player you could yeah, really make. Kyle, I ranked him as the RB4 this week because that's right. We I'm got thinking. everything, we got the big plays, we got the increased passing game involvement, uh, we got the red zone touches. I mean, it, it was everything we've been wanting for Saquon Barkley for years, basically. And he, he quite literally checked all the Barkley boxes in that game. That's where I would have him too. I, I think maybe, you know, he is, he's a breakaway runner. So there's going to be some down weeks when he doesn't have those types of runs, but you're getting all of the receiving involvement that you want 
This offense could also be frustrating, though, because they're really, really trying to hide Daniel Jones. They played super slow in addition to being really run heavy. So I do think there's going to be some frustrating weeks here for Barkley, but he is the centerpiece of this offense. And yeah, he's an elite back. Yeah, Richie James was a uh, second on the team in targets, so you can literally just not talk about them. Ignore them. Kadarius <laughs> Tony played like seven snaps, got no targets, uh, and was like running with the twos in practice or something. So uh, the, trade him. Uh, not in your fantasy league. Well, if you no one's buying in your fantasy league, hopefully someone's yeah, buying in the real. You're, you're trading them for someone on the waiver wire at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, hopefully, I, what I was saying is hopefully the NFL they someone finds a trade partner for him because he's not. It's not happening there. It's just clearly they don't like him. They're not going to use him. Moving to the other side of this game, McCaffrey obviously like he got the touchdown, but other than that, it was a very quiet day from uh, you know what many people by the end of the summer were calling the obvious RB one. I still feel good about him though, right? Like he out carried his backup to 10 to three, out targeted them five nil, played 81% of the snaps. Those pretty much fall in line with everything we've seen from him throughout his career. At times he's been a 90 plus or 100% snap guy, but 81 is still hyper elite and giving up no targets to your backups is perfect. Just wasn't a game that they were able to get him going. And, and, Maybe that happens from time to time, but it's not like this is the the worst offense he's played on. Even if Baker is a yeah. zero upgrade, did they like they played s- games with Sam Donald and Cam Newton, who like I don't even know if Cam Newton had arms oh. at the end of his career. Yeah, no. right. Yeah, this might be I, the best offense he's ever played. <laughs> yeah, I think disaster. it is, but also Baker is not that great. Either. Baker could be trending towards Cam Donald Lind. I don't but know. But even if he know. is trending towards them, right? He's still he's better than on that. his way to that and he's probably not he's still there on the yet. way down he's not there yeah yet. not there yet exactly so i think better days are ahead for mccaffrey just based on the usage we were never touting mccaffrey because he played on a good offense if anything we were touting him because he played on a bad offense and he was the entirety of the offense and that still looks to be true robbie anderson popped up with a big game but he's done that from time to time he's got uh, i think like 10 double digit target games over the past two seasons like he's competent and if he finds a matchup that he can excel in He'll go off, but I think that's still going to be pretty infrequent because DJ Moore is just more talented. Two things. One, uh, McCaffrey had a 28-yard run. It didn't count for fantasy because it was a recovered fumble. Just putting it out there. He takes the initiative to save that play, and he's punished. Yes, exactly. And we're punished accordingly. Yeah, it's us that get punished. And my second thing is, Kyle, I'm asking you not to use the word nil on this podcast. It's not a soccer podcast. I, I'm so – well, I, I, I think it's it's a football podcast, in fact, is what I'd say. Well, this isn't Europe. Sorry. I, I want to note that uh, McCaffrey ran a route on 73% of dropbacks. We talked about Bateman earlier, and I was kind of defending, like, hey, he's not that bad. He was at 74%. That's the number one wide receiver. You've got McCaffrey running routes – barely below, you know, kind of a, you know, right. a, the number one type. So he's running around. It's like a full-time slot receiver, basically. I'm it's, giving it's someone 20 seconds to tell me something positive about DJ Moore. Cause I need to hear it. Who's got it. Any of you, oh. any of you freaks? He's normally very good at football. Normally. <laughs> he ran around on a hundred percent of dropbacks. Okay. All right. Thank uh, you. And that's all I have. Cause I think this game is going to be slow. Oh, man, someone, God, someone, do something about my DJ Moore crisis. It's not, it's not good. We tried. We got him Baker. It didn't work. It didn't work. Shockingly, our Baker Mayfield plan did not work for the DJ Moore Nation. Coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Chargers, I don't know why I said that. It actually, wasn't heartbreaking. The Raiders host the already <laughs> down bad Arizona Cardinals as five and a half point home favorites. Crane, we'll get to the Raiders in a minute, but just take us through the Cardinals' passing attack. I mean, we're really, we're, we're, this is now the third podcast week where we're going to talk about Greg Dortch. Uh, what in God's name is going on in Arizona? 
This is, I mean, I, I actually feel like this is a bit of an attack on Denny that you didn't start with him to go through. <laughs> yeah. I guess, through that door. He's, he's, I mean, he's set his Dorch piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quota long ago. We earlier need to counter Dorch narrative. All right. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if there is a counter Dorch narrative because they, they can't play AJ Green. They can't do it. And That's they right. didn't do it. That's what I'm saying. He he ran around on 70% of dropbacks. He had a point zero. 0.42 yards per hour run, which is just like so unbelievably bad. I mean, like, what is what is the alternative if Rondell Moore isn't healthy? I I think, and even if he is, right? Like, they're going to have. Uh, I, I guess I guess that is the alternative because George did play 82 percent of his snaps in the slot, so maybe that gets us. But it, yeah. I, I'm telling you, I, we know what Cliff's going to do, right? it's going to be Dorch over Rondell Moore and we're going to just cry and cry about it. And we're going to complain about it and we're going to rip cliff and we're going to, but I already see the writing on the wall here and I I'm pretty heavily invested in Rondell Moore, but you know, Dorch didn't embarrass himself. He had 1.5 yards per outrun, 28% target share, uh, targeted shallowly 6.8. So, it's kind of the Rondale Moore role that he's in. Yeah. Hopefully he gives that up, but I'm not counting on Cliff to do the right thing. Give well, I, I, you know, he's I in the Greg Dorch role. Rondale Moore's looking to take over that Greg Dorch role. In <laughs> the Greg Dorch role. You, it's always it. been the Greg Dorch role. You said it. Uh, yeah. No, I, I think it's actually good news long term for Rondale Moore. Maybe it means more action for him. But like, yeah, like there, there's very little. Marquise Brown is not a target dominator. Never has been. Won't be in this offense. Was certainly wasn't in Week One. Uh, you have AJ Green on the outside. You have Andy Isabella used for what, like twelve routes against uh, uh, whoever they played, the Chiefs. So it, it leaves it leaves Dorch now. Apparently, the slot corner for the Raiders is vastly approved over the slot corner for Kansas City. Wow. Nevertheless, I think that Dorch Dorch is in line for more targets. Hey, some people just aren't good at football. Andy Isabella, Rondell Moore. Some just are. Greg Dorch. You know. The people that the Arizona Cardinals draft. <laughs> the people that the Cardinals keep getting away with draft. And but not to Rondell Moore. We're really hoping you're good, Rondell Moore. Uh, Denny, the Raiders pass catchers, do we expect Devontae Adams to continue uh, basically doubling up two very good players in their own right, uh, right. Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro? Or is this going to come back down to earth? It was, it was Derek Carr's first three-interception game in four years. It was a game where he kept trying to jam it to his new number receiver. Only one of those interceptions – was intended for Devontae Adams, but I mean, I guess it's probably a dumb question. But do we do we think he's just going to remain like so far ahead of his talented teammates, or is this going to maybe come back down? It was the fourth most targets oh. of Devontae Adams' career. I'm I'm guessing that he's not going to have a 50 percent target share at the end of the season, but uh, it could still be absurdly high. I mean, it, you know, still could will be over 30 percent probably. Um, so yeah, that's what I was gonna, is it going to be north of 30 percent? You do I think, think it so. will be. I think so. I mean, a healthy season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I think the, you know, the targets are going to be incredibly concentrated between him and Waller and maybe less so with, with, with Renfro. Now you could have just stopped at Waller. Yeah. Right. I, I, I do, I do want to mention, mention Renfro. If folks are out there and they're like dying for a reason to play Hunter Renfro. Milwaukee Brewers left fielder. I have it. <laughs> I have it. Uh, so last week, uh, Arizona defense was sliced and diced by Kansas City uh, slot receivers. Uh, slot receivers for the Chiefs caught seven seven balls for 104 yards and a touchdown last week. So could be could be something. Could be something. But obviously Adams being there is just like a black hole for targets. And I didn't even mean that to be a Raiders joke, but it's true. Speaking of the, the Raiders again, Kyle, I don't know if you or I wrote this in the rundown, but 
I, I was week one good or bad for Josh Jacobs because I genuinely can't tell. Was you it, wrote this. You, you asked the questions. I'm was not it, was it, okay, then, then was it good or bad? Because I can't tell. <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. Maybe if you scooped him at like the lowest ADP he got to, uh, not seeing Zamir White play a single offensive snap and seeing Brandon Bolden only get uh, three carries. He was the only non-Josh Jacobs running back to get carries. Maybe that's optimistic. It was a losing effort. Uh, so it makes sense that Jacobs wouldn't get more than a handful, like a dozen carries. But he's not going to get receiving work. I think they could eventually start to use Zamir White. So he's just a between the tackles banger on a team that they, you know, they play in a division that they're not going to be winning often. This maybe is a game where they can get him going. But I think in the long term, like you're hoping he's like discount what we thought Damian Harris was going to be. Obviously, that offense didn't look good, but you're hoping for like a less talented version of that, which like I wasn't betting on it in, you know, in draft season. If you were, you're probably not feeling great about it. Whereas the 49ers had a week one to forget and tropical stormy Chicago, the Seahawks are coming off an emotional victory on a short week, Denny. Hence the Niners currently at eight and a half point home favorites. What is the lay of the land in Santa Clara for a 49ers team? Yeah, that things didn't go well in week one and a Seahawks team. Things went really well for one half and the second half uh, hanging on for dear life. Well, I think, you know, good news for the Niners is that uh, they'll have to come up with a new excuse for why Trey Lance. Ah, right? man, come on, man. So we're, we're going to have to find that. Maybe an offensive lineman will get hurt early in the game. And they'll That's say, hey, you can't count it against Lance. <laughs> uh, but the Seahawks appear to have a very exploitable, burnable run defense um, that could fit in very well with the team. And I understand the rain and everything, but – with the team that was at, had the lowest pass rate over expected last week. So could you see a massively run-heavy script if things go right uh, for Trey Lance and the Niners? That speaks to perhaps Jeff Wilson seeing seeing volume. Obviously, it's good for Debo. It's probably good for Lance. I, I, I don't – I just don't know, like, you know, pieces, you know, like like Ayuk and Kittle. I just don't know where that volume is going to come from, especially – if this game goes, you know, the way that, well, most of us think it'll go and, and they get out to a lead. It's, it's the same. It's kind of the same story, right? For, for, for Kittle and Ayuk and the, and the pass catching guys, the, the guys who rely on that, that those targets, whereas Debo fits more nicely fantasy wise into this sort of game script. Um, so, and then quickly on the other side, these are our Seahawks because guess what? The Seahawks were, had the fourth highest pass rate ever expected on first and 10. Wow. Well, they, they finally got a good quarterback. They, they were trolling Russ. About, about time, yeah. They finally I, got a guy with some pocket awareness. These, these are the analytic Seahawks, you know, and 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 we love them. These are this is our team. So it it could be, you know, this idea that uh, they were not going to throw a single pass all season. Uh, quickly, quickly put to bed in week one. It was put to bed until you know Geno Smith faced a pass rush, and again, right. remembered he has no idea how to react to a pass rush. And it's maybe the worst pocket presence of any regular NFL quarterback I've ever seen. That's why he has to get the ball out like five yards downfield on RPOs only. (laughs) Once there's any pass rush whatsoever, Geno Smith is like, I think I'm a shortstop. Um, (laughs) He just is not an NFL quarterback anymore. (laughs) Once the real quick on this game, Crane Husky, are we prioritizing anyone behind Jeff Wilson? We know that Jeff Wilson's a born committee guy. He's going to be leading this committee. But do you have a lean on Tyrion Davis Price or Jordan Mason behind Jeff Wilson? So I, I'm kind of with Denny. I think the it's probably Debo Samuel, which that's how we get any kind of value here is like Debo comes in and he he's kind of the running back hybrid guy again. 
like we saw at the end of last year. And then Ayuk actually has a little bit of breathing room the way he did at the end of last year. So that would probably be the way I would expect it to play out. The other alternative, I think, if it is one of these uh, these running backs, I think it's probably Tyrion Davis-Price. Mason was active last week. He did not see a snap. So, you know, there were some ideas that maybe he was active ahead of Davis-Price because of special teams. Mitchell got hurt early enough where I think if that wasn't the case, we would have seen him at least get an offensive snap. So, yeah, I would expect that Tyrion Davis-Price is the number two. Is that a fantasy-relevant number two role? I kind of lean towards no, but it's certainly possible that it is. And just real quickly to close out this game on the other side of the ball, Ken Walker is making his 2022 debut, but I don't think we're expecting enough touches to be redraft relevant just yet. I mean, the Seahawks is kind of weird. It was a disappointing week one for Rashad White, but I would not be getting Ken Walker into my week two redraft lineups. Just, are we nodding yes or no to that? No words. He nods yes. Well, you did say Rashad White. Uh, <laughs> he had a fine week one, and you're talking about Rashad Penn. Uh, I, no, I'm yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, Rashad White is actually a very encouraging week one. Crane, the Chicago Bears come off their surprising week one victory the only way they know how as 10-point road underdogs in Green Bay. What's going on with the Chicago Bears and with the Green Bay Packers? So I hear I have a thing or two going on in their receiver court. Yeah, so it it was kind of interesting because this was not a good week for the Packers, but they did not go into a shell. They were still kind of the, the Packers that we would expect them to be from kind of a, a play-calling perspective. They have had a 5% pass rate over expected, 14% on first and 10, so they're pretty aggressive still. I think you know they will bounce back here. The Bears also, I think, showed some key signs of life. Denny talked about uh, with the 49ers, how just absurdly run heavy they were. And the Bears were very run heavy as well, as you would expect in the conditions. But kind of interestingly, they had a 4% pass rate of expected on first and 10. Could be kind of small sample noise, but they also had an elite play action rate for Justin Fields, which is something he did not have last year. He jumped up considerably in his play action rate, which I think is a great sign given the type of quarterback he is. And then he also set a career high with seven designed runs. So this is a, a team that seems to be interested in setting fields up for success, weirdly. Uh, so I, I kind of like what we saw from the Bears. You know, I, I still don't think they'll be all that good or all that fantasy relevant. But, you know, if you're thinking about starting Justin Fields, I feel pretty good about that. What to do beyond that? I, I don't really know. I mean, Mooney had a very disappointing week one, but I think you, you kind of got to throw that out maybe because of the conditions. You honestly uh, do. As someone who was forced to watch every snap, of this, I just don't think – you can have meaningful takeaways other than my one takeaway that I thought Trey Lance looked like he had a little better uh, touch than he did last year, but if not necessarily more accuracy though. Yeah. And Mooney ran around on 96% of dropbacks. So I think you can just kind of, I think it's totally fine to throw that out and just say, Hey, he's out there and, and fields maybe looks pretty interesting. So I'm going to roll with his number one wide receiver on the Packers side. They didn't have anybody at 70% or above Watson actually led in route rate with 67%. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel comfortable rolling out any of these wide receivers. It's basically, I think you can play Dylan and I think you can play Aaron Jones. Alan Lazard might about. be coming back, by the way, with mm. the receiver core to make it even more complicated. Yeah, I don't, I don't love him. So, yeah, I think don't forget about Aaron Jones would be the last note here. Uh, he did run 28 routes to Dylan 16, even though Dylan out-targeted him. So, you know, Dylan's good and I think he'll have a kind of all-around role, but, but Aaron Jones is still going to be involved. I'm going to go around the horn on that real quick because I was going to ask if you guys would rank A.J. Dillon or Aaron Jones higher because 
I think this it sort of has seemed like a slow motion takeover of the Packers backfield by AJ Dillon since the second half of last season. And I just don't know if I'm seeing things. Kyle, you were nodding at first. I mean, which Packers running back did you rank higher this week? I ranked Aaron Jones higher, but it was easily the uh, closest I've had them ranked that they've been playing together in their career. And specifically because A.J. Dillon, as expected, looks good as a pass catcher. He didn't run as many routes as Crane said, so I don't expect him. I wouldn't project him to have more receiving yards or have more receptions. But it's as, it's close enough to make me very uncomfortable with Aaron Jones. And we saw Dylan get in for the uh, the goal line punch. So Dylan well, had so. a pretty decisive advantage like in the red zone, just yeah. in general. It was kind of what really spooked me. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, uh, he didn't run as many routes, nearly as many routes as Jones. But uh, Dylan had a, a nearly thirty eight percent target per route run rate, which is he's he is a good strong. pass catcher. That is the concern is. with Aaron Jones. Isn't that the usage today in week one? isn't in his advantage, at least his pass catching is, is you know, concerned because he ran more routes, as we said. It's that Dylan just keeps looking better as a right. pass catcher year yeah. in, year out, to the point where he could be as good as Aaron Jones. So that's the concern that by week five or six, you get A.J. Dylan just like, it's hard to take this guy off the field type of deal. Sometimes after week one, you have to do some like really aggressive rankings things. I did give A.J. Dylan like a one or two spot advantage on Aaron Jones. And I mean, people could be laughing at me. This time, like, kind of like, kind of like when I, you know, I didn't send the email, then I ranked AJ <laughs> Dillon and Aaron Jones. The, uh, the 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 listeners will passive aggressively tell you you're wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I don't even know if it was passive aggressive. So you might have just been aggressive. Aggressive, might have just been aggressive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To your credit, there was nothing passive about it. <laughs> thank, thank God. I never want to be passive aggressive. The beat up Tampa Bay Buccaneers arrive in New Orleans as two and a half point favorites. We think the Bucks are probably still the better team, but. Tom Brady has produced more than two touchdowns just one time in five matchups against Dennis Allen's defense. Kyle, does it sound fair to call Tom Brady a borderline QB1 this week, especially since essentially every one of his wide receivers is battling an injury of some sort? Yeah, just give us the Tom Brady lay of the land. I mean, as long as we get like Chris Goblin, I almost I don't think he's been technically ruled out yet, but the report is that he's expected to be sidelined like multiple weeks. Right. So no, I, I would say no chance he plays Mike Evans, a minor calf injury, but I, I can't confidently say he plays Julio Jones back to back DNPs. But Julio, as you may know, is old. So it kind of makes sense for him to not practice much during the week. I think if uh, as long as they get one of them, right, they get Julio Gage return to practice. So he should play. They get one of these guys. Brady has enough to make do with that to be a, a low end QB one. We saw in his final days in New England, no one is impervious to having just an atrocious receiver core. If they lose all of these guys, you right. know, maybe Rash- Rashad Perriman or something has some wide receiver three type of value, but it will give Brady a pretty big ding. I wouldn't rank him as a QB one if they happen to lose all of them. Someone has not. Is Tyler Johnson still on the Bucks? No, nah, he not. got cut and <laughs> no, signed with the Texans on the practice squad or something. Guy, that's Uh-oh. the first guy I thought about uh, when, when when Kyle said when you woke up this morning. Guys. Just, uh, was yeah. Jalen Darden still on the Bucks? Do they have any of the old analytics gods? Um, Scotty Scotty Miller. Miller's still there. Yeah. Was Jalen Darden ever on the Bucks? Yes. Yes. One hundred percent. It's like I said that. I was like, was he not one of the no, no, no. guys you, you, on the Bucks? You've been grinding your Rotoviz articles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know my Rotoviz Bucks receivers. We love our Rotoviz, don't we, folks? I, we do. I'm not that sold on Brady this week, even if he's got his guys. Because, like, so the Saints, they were a very good run defense last year, but they, they didn't rank very well last week. I mean, Cordell Patterson got there. So, you, you know, coming off a game where the Buccaneers were unexpectedly run heavy, I, I don't see why they kind of wouldn't go back to the well here to some extent and, you know, not play like we're used to with the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers over the past couple of years have pushed it 
in terms of pass rate over expect. They've been like the Chiefs, right? If they're if they're balanced or slight run lean, that's a big difference in terms of passing volume than we've come to expect from them. I think that's a real possibility here. I think for that to happen, you would need the the uh, the Saints offense not to really do much because I would attribute some of what we saw last week to uh, Cooper Rush getting in the game after Dak Prescott was ranked dead last in the NFL in EPA per dropback. Cooper Rush comes in and says, hold my beer and one up to finish dead last. <laughs> so I think maybe if you're a coach and you see that the the opposing offense, they're just dead. They have no chance. Uh, you are going to give it to Lenny to, you know, 20 some odd times. But I mean, there's totally a chance we saw it was uh, not until late in the game that Jameis came alive. So if that happens, I do agree that it would probably be kind of a, a pretty bland I- Leonard Fournette centric game. I think there's a signal in the Bucks being the fifth uh, run heaviest team on first down. Like that, that's, that's like, that's like a huge shift. Like we're not used to seeing that. And, uh, and, and, you know, they had paid lip service in July and August to like, yeah, we're going to establish. Yeah. Like, like what, what are you going to do about it? Um, and, and they kind of did that, like, like bully type football. So uh, that, I don't know. I, I feel like um, underreacting to this could be, could, uh, could not be the way to go. Well, I, one thing I'll note with the offensive line, and this is, I'm right. I wrote this up in the walkthrough. They have, they've got three replacements here. Uh, they had three replacements in against the Cowboys because Donovan Smith left with an elbow injury. Ryan Jensen's out. Aaron Stinney's out. And all three of the replacements were much better at run blocking than pass blocking. And Tom Brady did not come back to the league at 45 to get hit. He's going to hand the ball off if the offensive line is not pass protecting well, but is run blocking well. So I think maybe four or five weeks from now, we're in a different situation. The lines come together. It's gelling better as a pass protecting unit. He's got healthier receivers. They, they start pushing their advantage again. But I, I'm not sure their advantage right now is the passing game. They're, the advantage, at least in terms of the line, is actually running it. Yeah, I, I thought maybe. So I think part of it was game situation and the Cowboys not threatening. It was also the Bucks' offensive line issues. Like Micah Parsons, you know, could just kill Tom Brady. And now they're <laughs> facing another really, really good defense this week. And I do think at least for one week, the run commitment could remain. Because, I mean, Cordell Patterson just became the first running back in 20 games to have a 100-yard game, individual game against the Saints. So uh, maybe this could be like a perfect storm of like uh, – situational football leading to more uh, run-heavy game. And plan. watch watch Lenny's practice status. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Kyle, other side of the ball, Alvin Kamara, a lot of fantasy managers kind of hand-wringing about a little bit. I've been saying that I think like the lack of targets was just they were down 16 to 7 and 26 to 10. Do you see anything to be worried about in Alvin Kamara's week one usage? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely do. We saw him out there for 28 passing downs, which is perfectly normal for the amount of snaps he played. But he only ran 17 routes. He had 11 pass blocking reps. That was a third of what he saw all of last year. It has never been part of his repertoire. Even in recent years, he just hasn't been a particularly good pass blocker. And that's totally fine. It's you know the, the tight end situation, right? Don't be good at blocking. Be good at catching screen passes and dump offs. But they used him just straight up as a guy who sits there and helps take heat for Jameis Winston. Maybe that's because it's Jameis Winston's first game back since, you know, ending last year on IR. But it's concerning that we get the coaching turnover and all of a sudden Alvin Kamara sitting back there just blocking up edge rushers or whatever. It was a 13% target share. It was the lowest target share. If it was, you know, a whole season, that would be his lowest target share since his rookie season. So, his usage was strange to say the least and really concerning would be my, my answer. 
I, I do think it maybe was game flow. Totally but could be, but that is also in games where you're behind. If you're the Saints, you love to get it to Alvin Kamara, right? Because he's great at like he's not just the dump off in the flat and gets you four yards. He can actually go a little farther downfield and churn out broken tackles and yak like most running backs can. So even to that extent, uh, I was a little worried about that too. So I'm I'm concerned about Alvin. Kamara. Craner, what are some of your thoughts on the Saints? Because it was pretty fascinating. Jarvis Landry had a hundred yard game. Michael Thomas finally got going in the second half. Chris Olave didn't do a ton in the box score. Juwan Johnson's the thing, supposedly. What are what are our thoughts on the Saints? Yeah, I'm I'm a little concerned about Kamara, partly because you look at uh Jarvis Landry's big game, and he was a deep threat. He had a 15 A dot on eight targets. So it's like if Jameis Winston's turning Jarvis Landry into a deep threat, I don't know how many times he's going to Alvin Kamara underneath. Uh, and then you also look at Juwan Johnson. I'm kind of in on this Juwan Johnson thing. He, I, first of all, he was like free on waivers. So I have you guys on, make like, me sick. I have him on almost every single league that I that I'm in, and I'm in like 30 leagues. Um, <laughs> Juwan Johnson had ran around on 80 percent of dropbacks. <laughs> he's he's like a full time tight end. It's it's hard to find guys who run routes at 80% plus at the tight end position. He also last season led all tight ends. He only ran 166 routes, but he led all tight ends in average depth of target. He actually gets downfield. And that's when I think the key stats for tight ends is who's going to, you got your Austin Hoopers. They're just going underneath. They're running the little squiggles and they're pure dump off guys. Then you actually have the guys who can actually challenge downfield down the seam. He can be kind of like Jared Cook was in this offense, I think. He had a 12.4 A dot in this game. Should mesh pretty well with Jameis. He ran 68% of his routes from the slot. He actually only had 74% of snaps, but he ran a route on, on 80% of dropbacks. So you talk about not one of these tight ends to, to come in and block. He's leaving the field when they're blocked. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what he's getting the, he's the big wide receiver treatment. So look, I mean, pick him up if he's still available for free. Don't go crazy, but. This is a kind of a, an exciting development here. I think is you know in a league where we're constantly looking for tight end production. Yeah, I mean you say he's getting the big wide receiver treatment. He was a receiver, I believe, at Penn State, and then all he the was. way to was Oregon State. Receiver. That's where I remember he transferred. He caught more receiving yards than Mike Gesicki when he played his final season at Penn State. He's like just a receiver that's going to get tight end eligibility, sort of like Mike Gesicki, right? On a smaller scale, but on the way Gesicki played, maybe on a larger scale this year. <laughs> so yeah, he is like super sneaky waiver wire pickup for teams that totally punted. I appreciate you guys not befouling this podcast by mentioning Taysom Hill's name, by the way. Uh, We'll be right back after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Don't forget to check out Matthew Berry's new show, Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry. The legendary fantasy football ana- analyst is back with NBC and Rotoworld doing what he does best, rolling out his love-hate list, breaking down who to start and sit, and so much more. There will also be plenty of actionable information along the way for you sports bettors. Check it out weekdays at noon on Peacock or listen to the show in podcast form wherever you download and subscribe. Denny. Smarting from Mondays, this time it's personal loss to the Seahawks. The Broncos greet the 0-0-1 Houston Texans as 10-point home favorites. I mean, I don't, we don't really want to talk about this game, but tell us about the Texans and the Broncos, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, start your Broncos, and uh, we can move on. Uh, I mean, go. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean obviously, uh, I hope it goes without saying, you're starting both Denver running backs, okay? Like, they, they both saw – enough very valuable touches and the game script should be such that both can be very, very much involved. Um, and both, you know, obviously a great bet for touchdowns as well. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, the, the Broncos were not, were not fantastic. Uh, with the end result wasn't fantastic against Seattle, but they were top five, I believe in yards per play. They did everything right, except for they did that thing where you fumble near the end zone, and that's uh, that's something generally you want to avoid. And so I, I you know, I I think it's as easy as that. I do think Brandon Cooks is, you know, you you got to start him if you drafted him, but that's a rough matchup, dude, against a, I think a pretty good Denver <laughs> secondary. Anyone else want to jump in? Just- no, Broncos like a screaming by low to me. They were like third in uh, passing EPA per play, third in overall EPA per play when you exclude turnovers, which uh, turnovers are one of the fluky aspects of the NFL games, especially when it is goal line fumbles. They were even a top five rushing team in EPA per play if you take away those fumbles. If you leave in the fumbles, they were nearly dead last, right? Because fumbling on the three and one yard line oh, or whatever oof. it was, turns out is, is bad for the math of mm-hmm. football. And I don't expect that to keep happening, right? They also did some other dumb stuff that is maybe more indicative of how they'll be coached. Like the awful, well, the awful decision-making on the final, you know, the, the fourth down stuff. Yeah, but also- here to talk about the past. Yeah, also the uh, the delay of games, right? Maybe there is some some more systemic stuff, but just as far as the talent accumulating yards in the field, this is a buy low spot. Yeah, the delay of game stuff was so weird. It just Jeez. kept happening. Like, I, I don't know. That's that, embarrassing, that, my God. It really was embarrassing, but- yeah, overall, I do. I completely agree. This is a buy low situation. Javante Williams saw twelve targets. I mean, that was that in the range coming in. It didn't feel like no. that was in the range. No. So it wasn't. now, <laughs> now we've got it. It happened. It's awesome. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about the Broncos. I'm less excited than I thought maybe I would be, but I I still think we no, should I'm feel excited. I'm excited. We should feel good about them going forward. Well, on the other side, Lovey Smith has pledged to get to the bottom of who is not featuring Damian Pierce in Week One, and you got to give him credit for that. You do. Have, he has vowed to find uh, whoever was doing that. <laughs> real, real urban vibes, right? Yeah, cool. I know. Oh, that's yeah. Denny and I talked about on Galaxy Brain. Yeah, uh, real, real Urban Meyer. I, I don't know who's giving this guy touches. <laughs> it's not me. Rex, who? What? Yeah, Rex, who? Um, so yeah, he's vowed to get to the bottom of that. In the down bad bowl, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers host the New England Patriots as two-point home underdogs for a game where Las Vegas 
is currently forecasting 40 and a half points. Denny, I don't know what to think with either of these teams, but I know what I want to think. With Ty Montgomery injured, can Ramondre Stevenson finally become our passing down back? It's finally Ramondre season. You know, look, we, we've said it 45 times over the past two seasons, but it's happening now because Ty Montgomery is finally out of the way, the converted wide receiver. I, you know, I, I, I hope so. Let's put it that way. Obviously, at least I can speak for myself, I really underestimated how they're going to use Damian Harris. Um, he's a thing, and they are committed to never giving you know the, uh, the full run of things to Ramondre, uh, barring, I guess, a, a Harris injury, which we do not want. But, uh, yeah, so I, 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 think, I think finally the team could be forced to use Stevenson, hopefully. What do we think? I mean, forced to, yeah, but the fact that he wasn't getting on the field over I know, Montgomery I know, and the Damian good. Harris ran, like, doubled him up in routes, too. Like, this might be a thing where, like, I'm excited about Albert O because the guy they clearly like more than them is hurt. Same thing here. Like, I, I feel a little less confident that they actually like Ramondre at this point. Yeah, it's one of those things where I can see us next week going, yeah, it was probably a bad sign that he wasn't playing ahead of Ty Montgomery, huh? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like Pierre Strong. When Pierre Strong has six yeah. targets, exactly. Yeah, it was probably bad. Yeah, in retrospect, that was a clear bad sign, <laughs> and we still just doubled down on Reminder Stevenson. Now, am I not going to double down on Reminder Stevenson sitting here before week two? No, of course, I, I am going to do that. I'm excited about Reminder <laughs> Stevenson. Uh, I think he's good. I think. Uh, you know, they're coming to get me. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the paddy the wagon coming to get Patrick Crane. For <laughs> they know I've again. seen the future. You yeah. Know doubling down our Mondre Stevenson. Uh, why was Bill Belichick talking about this guy? Like he was Ed Reed. Uh, I know. Feature him. He's lo- he loves uh, 60 days of Bill Belichick speaking glowingly of Ramondre Stevenson, talking about him like he's a, his own son. And, and to, for this, for this, for them to be a distant running back three in his own backfield. God. Stevenson did have 40% target per route run. Cause he got oh, two targets on his five routes. <laughs> oh, so, you know, small oh, sample oh. size nonsense, but I mean, I mean, it's enough for me to be excited. Yeah, I, know what I'm about. I believe, I believe what I have previously believed. I'm going to get that. <laughs> uh, Craner, is there a single Patriots pass catcher to like? Ramondre. Uh, so yeah, does Ramondre not count? Besides I think, Ramondre, I think Jacoby Myers uh, is is probably the best mix of running a bunch of routes and can actually earn a target from time to time. Devontae Parker was out there for 100 percent of dropbacks. But Myers wasn't far behind at 94%, um, and he got targeted on 19% of his routes. Parker, just 6%. Uh, we kind of know that Myers is decent. Like, he's limited, but he's decent. So, yeah, if you're rolling out anybody, it's him. No one else was above 55%, uh, where that's where Aguilar was. And then Hunter Henry, he was out there for 88% of routes, so, you know, you could fire him up. But but John, who's mixing in, he had 52% route participation, um, and he was he was getting a lot more targets. Uh, we had three. He had four targets to Hunter Henry's three, so a lot more targets per route. So I don't know. I don't feel great about the tight ends here. Uh, if you got to start any pass catcher, I guess it's Myers. Denny, do you have a lean on the other side of the ball on Chase Claypool versus George Pickens behind Deontay, or yeah. do we just kind of have to admit defeat that we got a little overexcited with Pickens? Yeah, I mean he still has that dog, obviously, but. He's got I German mean, Shepherd. He's got Pitbull. He's got a little Corgi. He's got everything. I don't know about Corgi. Um, low T he can dog. be quite mean. You know, Claypool uh, tied for the team lead in in pass routes. 
Um, he weirdly had six carries for 36 yards. Uh, that was one of those I, things where I didn't see that game. I saw it in the box score afterwards. I'm like, and I know went like, down in this game. <laughs> right. And I, and I understand that like he, it's not the first time he's ever been used as a rusher. You know, he scored a bunch of touchdowns near the goal line, I think as a rookie, as a rusher. So we've seen it. Maybe they're more committed to involving him in that role. But yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're starting Claypool over, over Pickens. Yeah. That's a shame. That's a real, real shame. But, uh, I think the promise Pat Fryermuth's got that dog in him. He does. He very, does. very high dog level. So, I was so wrong on him. Oh, I know. Yeah, I was too. I was, I was fading him. I was like gleefully fading him. Well, <laughs> it might also be more about Mitch Trubisky not having that dog in him. So he's just going to target the tight end a thousand times. Didn't factor in the I, dog, non-dog correlation <laughs> matrix. I, I think that's uh, part of it because Zach Gentry got a couple targets. Uh, <laughs> and by a couple... I, I do mean a couple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank God for that. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we'll be monitoring our Pittsburgh dog levels very, very closely. What we will not be monitoring closely is Jets at the Browns. None of us are going to watch this game. This is going to be honest. We're not going to blurb this one. I can't believe uh, someone actually has to do this. Someone on staff will have to watch this game, and so they will give the, the folks a proper write-up. But the Jacoby's brissette led Browns welcome the Joe Flacco-led Jets to town as nearly touchdown favorites. Kyle. Uh, what do people know about this game? Yikes. This is going to be an ugly one. The Browns, uh, I mean, they're going to do what we expected them to do. They're going to run the football a lot against a, a Jets run defense that, I mean, they played Kenyon Drake last week, so they actually look good after one week, but they were pretty atrocious last year. So I expect, uh, you know, I expect them to, behind one of the best offensive lines, grind Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt into absolute dust if they can handle it. <laughs> Nick Chubb led the NFL in missed tackles forced in week one. Kareem Hunt was top 10 yards after contact per attempt. An RB1 and an RB2, in my opinion. Donovan Peoples-Jones saw a bunch of targets. I just can't believe that to be sticky. It's the Devin DuVernay thing, right? Eh, that'll happen sometimes. I'm not playing these pass catchers. On the other side of the football, Jets, not good at football, but they're at least trying, right? They had the fastest pace of play and the highest pass rate in week one. So that makes me pretty much down in PPR leagues to play all the guys. Elijah Moore is the one who was out there for nearly every snap and nearly every route, and he played well with Joe Flacco last year. So to me, he's the easy wide receiver one of this team. And then we did see, as expected, it was Corey Davis as number two, Braxton Berrios stealing some some snaps from Garrett Wilson. So that's a little bit more of a, a sticky situation, but you can feel good starting Elijah Moore, which is nice. Yeah, a couple notes. Would, yeah, so I think there's three interesting things things here one is that the jets were quite pass heavy three seems like a lot <laughs> i i do wonder if the ravens might end up being a pass funnel like they were last year that's something to keep in mind um that you know if the jets went really pass heavy against them that could be about the jets or it could be about the ravens so because you know i don't feel great about starting any jets here mostly i just want to see if garrett wilson increases his routes i think he's probably about a week ahead of a guy like Traylon burks who's out there for over half the routes last week and he played well I think Corey Davis is is not uh, going to have much longer here. I think that I think it's coming from Corey Davis here because Garrett Wilson was running most of his routes on the outside, and Braxton Berrios's said it was involved. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the second thing. And the third thing is, I thought it was going to be Michael Carter and Brees Hall kind of splitting roles, but instead they have the exact same role. They're both every everything backs, and then they're just it's in a split back. They're just drive hoppers. Rather, rather than like, you know, no one's in a James White role versus an early down role, which I think is pretty awesome for Brees Hall. He had eight targets in his rookie debut on a team with Michael Carter. I mean, that's I think he has some real upside here if he's going to have anything close to that kind of receiving involvement going forward. Um, you know, obviously, they, they have a lot more plays than they will in a normal week. 
things will slow down here considerably, but um, still very, very encouraging for Brees Hall. I just, as we were at the Jets, then the, so they actually did this a lot in the second half last year where they were fast paced and like threw a ton and like, you know, it didn't work at all because their quarterbacks are terrible. And I was a little surprised to see the same thing again in week one. Well, they do it when they don't have Zach Wilson. That's when they do it. Yes. And then they play super slow uh, when, when he's, when he's actually in there. Yeah. I, I wonder why I, that is. I, I sure, nothing. Do. I'm sure. Sure, nothing to it. Yeah, right. Or the <laughs> fact that they've uh, let's see, I'm picking my notes. Oh yes, they benched him. Uh, <laughs> Zach, you, you don't look healthy, bud. You got it. You well, can't yeah, play it. Jets got all over me about that for insinuating that was a benching by another game. <laughs> yeah, they did not like that implication. Uh, hopefully, they liked the show. It's over. We talked about. <laughs> they probably didn't because we yeah, ended with Zach Wilson. Well, yeah, those people didn't, but I think most of you did. Oh, yeah, the, the Queens Corgis liked the show. I said Corgis are mean. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I've never even seen a Corgi in real life. I don't think um, they don't have those kind of dogs in the Midwest. We have real dogs out here. Um, <laughs> really high dog levels. Uh, in well, the you just West. turned off a whole other segment. <laughs> 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 yeah, I probably should just end the show. Um, <laughs> Check out Denny's waiver column. Check out my rankings. Check out Crane's walkthroughs on Fridays. Kyle, again, what are your, your signature columns this year? I know you're like writing a bunch, and I keep I forgot last year week what they were too. Um, what do you, what do you got on the site for the folks? Thirty two stats to find week one DFS breakdown on Friday. Awesome. He so didn't email you that information. I think you must on, have forgotten man. to put here. Come on, man. And check, <laughs> Kyle, you're doing live shows every Monday and Thursday night with Mr. Lawrence Jackson and Vaughn, correct? Uh, That's correct. And then Fridays with Crane. Check that out. Oh, yeah, Crane. Yeah, welcome back from Las Vegas, by the way. Um, Thanks. We love our Crane. It was nice being back. <laughs> we love our Crane. We love our Denny. We love our Kyle. We love our football. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back later. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.